Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Jesus was given. Jesus is the greatest gift the world has ever known. And it says this, that it didn't just give us the man Jesus, didn't just give us uh, eight-pound baby Jesus, come on, but he gave us a king. It says this, that the government would be on his shoulders. So he didn't just provide us a baby, he provided us a king, a leader, someone who could lead our lives. And it said that he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government, this government that he comes to establish, the increase of it, in other words, the expansion of it, the growing of it, there will be of his kingdom and his peace will know no end. How many know that as the kingdom grows in your life, so does the peace of God? And so we need to allow the room, come on, we need to open up to let the king come in and establish his peace and his reign. And uh, we talked about in week one that Jesus was given, he, the gift was given to govern our lives. And so Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega who rules over all that was. Come on, he rules over all that is, and he's ruling over all that is to come. He was given to govern. He's the Alpha and Omega. And then last week we talked about the shepherds and the, and the story of how shepherds are in that field and the heavens peeled back and the heavenly host was there. Could have been millions of angels singing and declaring warring angels, angels not declaring war, but declaring peace. And they they revealed themselves to shepherds, and we talked, why, 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 why did God use shepherds? And we talked about how God always has used shepherds. All throughout Scripture, we see God using shepherds. And then part of the reason why they use shepherds is because shepherds tend to lambs, and Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. God had a plan to redeem humanity, and Jesus was that plan, and these, these shepherds encountered Jesus, and we talked about that we need to be shepherding the encounters that we have, that we experience the Lord, not just for a moment, but so that God can do something in our life, and we can shepherd that. We can steward that work in our life. And today we want to continue the, the Christmas narrative. We've been in uh, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, and that's, that's primarily where we get most of our story. But in, in Matthew chapter 2, there's also a story. We're going to be spending a little bit of time this week, and next week we'll have a bite-sized message for you, and, uh, and Christmas with our kids and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a great family service next week, so invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your enemies, get here uh, next week, and uh, we'll be exploring this story a little bit further. But in Matthew chapter Two, this is the story of the wise men, and we know the story of the wise men and how they were, they were these men from uh, probably Persia or some other place in the, in the east a long ways away. It was actually a two-year journey for them to get to this place called Bethlehem, and a lot of times we don't see that in, the, in our Christmas cards, right? We see baby Jesus, but Jesus was toddler Jesus at this time, by the time they arrive on the scene, and they show up to Jerusalem because they saw the star, they followed the star, they were astronomers, they were, they were kingly men, they were wise men, so they, they, they ruled over a lot of things, and they show up to Jerusalem to this uh, king named Herod because they thought, well, hey, the king's coming. Surely he's going to show up in the palace. So they show up and they meet with Herod and they're like, we're here. We're here to see the Messiah. We followed the star. We've heard the prophecies. We've done all of our homework. We know he's here. Two years ago, God spoke to us and we followed the star and here we are. And Herod freaks out because all of a sudden he's saying, oh my gosh, there's another king on the scene. 
Is he going to take over my kingdom since Herod was the one ruling? So he saw the wise men's declaration, the message they are bringing, as a threat. So he's like, man, we've, we've got to stop this before it begins. So he, when they tell him, he, he goes to his, his crew, his staff, and he says, listen, guys, what's going on? You know, these wise men are here. They say that another king here, and they're saying, hey, this is what the prophecies teach, that a shepherd's going to come out of Bethlehem, and he's going to lead God's people. And they start freaking out, and he's like, what are we going to do? And he devises a plan in his mind to kill all the children in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem... It, it, and this is referred to as the slaughter of the innocents. Bethlehem was, was about 1,500 people. So you're looking somewhere between about 10 and 15 boys under the age of two in this community. And Herod plans to kill them all. So he has this conversation with the wise men, and he tells them, listen, why don't you guys go and find him? When you find him, come back and report to me so I can go and worship him also. Right? So he's like being sly, being kind of sneaky. And this is where our story picks up. And we'll talk about the gifts that they bring next week a little bit. And then in verse 12, it says, When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. How I many you know that God will provide a way for you to get out of trouble sometimes? And it says this, For God warned them in a dream. There's so many dreams here. I love how God lives in the dreams in this narrative. How many know that God wants to invade your, your nighttime dreams and your daydreaming, right? He, want, he wants to get in on your dreams. And it says that God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. And the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Verse 14, it says, that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. So they go, we call this the flight of Egypt. They go to Egypt and they spend the time in Egypt until Herod dies. And then this is the reason why the Lord told him to do this. He said, I called my son out of Egypt, which is another prophecy. And then it says in verse 16 that Herod, Herod was furious. Herod was furious. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. So God comes, reveals himself, and he gets mad because they don't return. So he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based upon the wise man's report of the star's first appearance. So here we have this story of a local ruler, come on, a guy that's overseeing a nation, and he hears of another king coming in. He sees him as a threat, and he says, what we're going to do is we're going to stop it before it begins. How many know that is just like the devil? He wants to stop the, the king's domain in your life before it begins. You know, if you read in Mark chapter 4, it talks about the parable of the, of the sower and the seed. Did you know that there were four seeds that planted, and only one of those seeds produced fruit? And they, and, it, and they stuffed out when? At the beginning. Beloved, when God does something, it is important for you to respond immediately. Because the, in, the more time the enemy has to come and mess, mess with you when it's immature and it doesn't have any root, he will be able to get rid of that in your life. And so this was Herod's plan. Let's stop it before it begins. And so he urgently goes in. They kill all these children, similar to what happened with Moses 
right? If you remember Moses, they tried to kill all the babies. Now here's Jesus. They're trying to kill all the babies. So when God is raising up the deliverers, the enemy wants to kill the deliverers. And the, because the devil wants to destroy, listen, the enemy wants to destroy the reign of God in your life. He wants to completely destroy it. So uh, God raises up kings. So God has an answer to this. He says, I'll raise up a king to overpower tyrant kings to advance my kingdom on the earth. And this is exactly what he does. God raises up Jesus, preserves Jesus to destroy this. But can I tell you today that God also raises up you to establish you to destroy the works of the devil. Come on, are you with me? Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, but he also does it through our life. So God raises up kings to overpower tyrant kings to advance his kingdom on the earth because the enemy will always try to ruin the reign of God. It says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, for if the trespasses of one man, now it's talking about Adam, right? It's talking about the fall. So Adam sins, blows it for everybody, right? Thanks a lot, Adam, right? Adam and Eve, blow it for everybody, all of humanity. And it says this, that when Adam sinned, he ruined it. He ruined God's reign. Remember, that was God's plan for Adam, is the same plan that he has for you, is it govern the earth. That was, remember, it was, it govern the earth. Multiply, have children, all that stuff. Subdue the earth. The earth is yours. Rule over it. That was the mandate. That hasn't changed. But what happened when Adam sinned, he gave up the authority to rule on the earth, and he handed it over to the one that he sinned, that, that, that tempted him to sin another ruler. And it says in Ephesians that, that the enemy, the devil, is the prince of the power of the air. So, so the devil has an authority. He has an authority, but only the authority that you say yes to. See, you're not powerless against the devil. Jesus, Jesus, the devil is already defeated. You know how he's defeated? When you say yes to Jesus. Of course he's attacking you. There's nothing new. But why don't you not focus so much on his attacks and focus on how you're going to overcome that? And that's by focusing on Jesus. So it says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the trespasses, the sins of one man, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness? How many know that righteousness is a gift? It's not a work. I, I do things, I do things, I'm righteous. No, 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 no. You receive the righteousness of God, the epitome of, of righteousness, you receive. It's a gift. It's a gift of righteousness. Come on, that's good news. It's the righteousness, it's way better than any righteousness you could do. It's God's righteousness. So it says this, that those that receive grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. So what it's teaching us here in the scripture is that death and sin have no power over you. They don't dominate your life. You actually dominate life. You actually rule and reign over life through Christ, through what Christ accomplished. He got the keys back. Jesus got the authority back. And then guess what he did when he got the authority? He gave it to us. Remember, that's what he told Peter. Matthew chapter 16. I give you the keys of the kingdom. God doesn't have the keys of the kingdom. You do. It's his kingdom, but we got the keys. That's good news. But it's also heavy. Come on, because keys mean responsibility. So 
How do we rule? How do we reign? We reign and rule through him, and we also rule and reign like him. Come on. It's a different kind of rulership. In, in fact, a lot of people, we've been talking about this, a lot of people rejected Jesus because they didn't, he didn't rule like other rulers did. They thought he would rule like Herod and come in and overthrow everything and use force. Jesus said, I'm going to use yeses. I'm going to use people that will respond to me. I'm going to use people that will yield to me. I'm not going to force them into submission. I'm going to, I'm going to say, whoever wants to come, come on in. And if they respond to that, they're going to rule with me. I'm not just going to let them serve me as their king. I'm actually going to serve them as, my, as their king. It's backwards. It's actually right side up. But it appears backwards because the world does it a different way. So we rule differently. And so what we call this ruling is we call it servant kings. Not the king's servants, but servant kings. Those that serve like kings... And rule like servants. Does that make sense? So we rule like servants and we serve like kings. That means you're the best server around. Because kings do everything with excellence. Kings do everything with incredible, immaculate identity. They do it really well. But you serve that way. You serve really well. You serve your family well. You serve at your job well. Why? Because you have a great job? No. Because you're a king. Beloved, this is your identity. So there's two parts of that, right? There's servants and there's kings. Let's talk about kings. So kings is our identity. How many know that when you came to Jesus, John chapter 1, as many as received him, he gave them the right. That word in the Greek language is exousia. Sometimes it uses the word power. Exousia means authority. It's like if I made you a deputy sheriff, I gave you authority. I gave you exousia. It says, as many as believed in him, he gave them the authority to become the children of God. So when you came to Jesus and you trusted Jesus with your life, you became part of the royal family. You now have a royal identity. You have a divine position. And it's royalty. You're a king. You're a queen. You rule over stuff. Isn't that awesome? And we're ambassadors. Listen, we've been talking about this message of reconciliation. We're ambassadors of this thing called the kingdom. So it's God's kingdom, but we steward it. What is kingdom? Kingdom means the king's dominion. Everything that is under the rulership of God. So think about all those things that are inside the rulership of God. That's what we're called to rule, in, to rule with. So let me suggest this to you. Anything that is opposed to that kingdom, anything that's opposed to the kingdom of God, listen, we have dominion over. I'm going to talk about a few of those things. I want you to think of it like this. We had a, a guy uh, way back when the church started, a guy that served on our worship team, and he, he was a, he's Canadian, and so he went back home to Canada. Well, he had some golf clubs here, and he couldn't get on the, on the airplane, and so he said, hey, uh, Pastor Josh, can I, can I keep my golf clubs? Can you hold on to them for me? And I'm like, what am I, storage? I didn't say that at all, actually. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll just put them in the attic. And he's like, and you can use them. They're yours. They can, they can sit in your attic, and you can use the golf clubs. Well, I don't play golf. Right? So they just sat in my attic and took up space 
for two years. Now, if I had been a golfer, I would, I would have been a poor steward of those golf clubs, those nice golf clubs he had, if I didn't use them. Because they were in my possession. And there's a lot of things in this kingdom that are in your possession, but are you using them? Are you using what's in your possession, or are you just looking at the promises and going, those are awesome promises. We declare the promises. We believe the promises. But do you, are you using them? They're in your possession. So what do we have authority over? Well, first of all, you have authority over sin. Did you know that you have authority over sin? The sin that, that is easy for you to get into, that you make excuses for, well, I really struggle in this area. It's hard. I'm growing a little better than I used to be. Did you know that, that addiction has no hold on your life? Any sin, did you know that, that, that you are not a slave to that thing? As soon as you say you're addicted, you're saying, I have no choice. But you do have a choice. You reign in life. Romans 8. You have authority over sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. We'll talk about shame in just a moment. And because you belong to him. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. You do not have to sin. Pastor, are you saying that I can live without sin? I am saying you can live without sin in your life. I absolutely am. Because you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that is not a tainted righteousness. So if it is already on you, then shouldn't it be lived out? Now, will you live without sin? Probably not. But it doesn't mean that you don't have the power over it. Are you tracking? So don't make it, well, we're just all sinners. We'll talk about that in a minute. You're not a sinner anymore. Either, either you're, you're, part, you're a citizen of the kingdom of darkness or you're a citizen of the kingdom of light. And beloved, you are a citizen of the kingdom of light. You don't walk in darkness. You don't live in sin. You are free. Don't make excuses for it. So we have authority over sin. Secondly, we have authority over shame. Now, shame is the authority over sin. Shame is what Adam felt in the garden when God still showed up. God still showed up after Adam blew it. Adam's in the garden. He's, he was hiding. Why was he hiding? Because he was filled with shame. And God's like, why were you hiding? He's like, I was naked. I'm embarrassed. I feel a certain way. Listen, shame is misidentification. That's exactly what shame is. Shame is thinking that you're something that you're not. And so what we do with shame is we attach labels to it. Right? Well, I'm ADD. I'm OCD. I've got PSD. I've got all these Ds. I've got all these disorders. I've got all these dysfunctions. Listen, not, I don't have a problem with you if, if you say that. I have some of those Things, But the problem with labels is this, is we identify more with our labels than we do with our identity in Christ. So listen, stop identifying with anything. Stop identifying with anything other than Christ. He's the one way you identify. I have lost my life. My life is hidden in Christ. It's in Christ. My life is in Christ. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. So those issues, they're not my identity. My identity is him. I'm a royal son. I'm a royal daughter of God. I have power over sin, and I have power over shame. Stop misidentifying yourself. 
Beloved, know who you are. Number three, we have authority over sickness. It could be physical sickness. You know, look at the ministry of Jesus. How many people got healed when Jesus prayed for them? All of them. How many people in the scriptures that the disciples, not Jesus, the disciples prayed for and got healed? All of them. They all got healed. Guess what the mandate that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28 was? Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. It wasn't even pray for the sick. It was go heal the sick. And we sit around and we go, well, God, I'll post it on Facebook. God, if it's your will, heal this person. And you don't even pray. Like, that's like the cheapest, like, call that person up and say, I believe by the power of God, by the stripes of Jesus, every part of your DNA will line up with heaven on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there's no dysfunction. Start declaring healing. You have authority over sickness. You have authority over dysfunction. You have authority over poor mindsets. Take that authority. You're a kingdom citizen. You have authority over lack. Oh, there you go, that prosperity gospel. Well, it's not a poverty gospel. And it is a prosperity gospel, but prosperity doesn't mean what America thinks it means. We're not talking about being materialistic. We're talking about having dominion over lack. See, Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, and my God, my God will supply all your needs, all of them. No lack in your life. My God will supply all your needs, not according to your job, not according to your skill set, not according to your personality, not according to if somebody's going to send me a check this week. No, no, no. According to his riches. And God has a lot of riches. And he takes care of his kids. God, why are you putting me through this? He's not. He wants you to take dominion over lack. Sometimes that means go and get a J-O-B. How does God deal with lack? Through generosity. Sometimes that generosity means working overtime. Because you can afford it. You can afford to work overtime. And now you can afford that toy that you want. Or you can afford to be more of a blessing like you want to. And I think we all want to be generous. But you've got to start before the money comes in. I'm just telling you. It's the way it works. We have authority through hardship. Through hardship. Now, many times when we talk about suffering in the scripture, this is what happens. You start talking about the stuff that we're talking about. Lack, sickness, shame. And this is, this is what people will tell you. This is what theologians will say. They'll say, well, the disciples suffered. Do you know that the scriptures never tell us, first of all, that they were sick? It never tells us that they were broke. But what it does say is that they were persecuted. What it does say is the world, the kingdom of this world, was out to get them, out to stop them, out to snuff out the reign of God. That's exactly what the enemy is trying to do. So they faced hardships and difficulties. Beloved, you're not going to get out of difficulties. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I'm with you. You're going to have trouble. But what kind of, is it the trouble that you brought on yourself? Or is it trouble because of your stance for Jesus? And this is the kind of persecution. They were persecuted because, because of their righteousness. Because of who they were. Because they were walking in their royal identity. And so all the disciples 
were murdered, were martyred except for one. One took his own life, and then they replaced him with another one, and he died a martyr. And then only one of them, John the Baptist, and they tried to kill him. He was deeply persecuted. Paul, another one, who wasn't of the 12, died a martyr's death. Persecuted deeply. He said, I'll bear in my body. He said, and I'll be willing. I love Paul so much because he's like, I'll be willing to go through all of it just to reach one person. Just to share the goodness of God with one person. I'll, t- I'll take it on my body. You, you do with me whatever you will. But it's not God that's doing that. Those hardships are caused from the spirit of the age and the spirit of the world that's trying to snuff out the kingdom in you. Trust me, they advance all the things that we talk about. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he says, no, despite all these things, he's like, we face hardships and difficulties and persecutions, all this stuff. And he said, and despite all, he's like, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. Will anything separate us from the love of God? And then he says, no, 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 despite all these things. Then he says, overwhelming victory. Even though I'm going through the most difficult time in my life and I could be about to die, overwhelming victory is ours who Christ, who loved us. Overwhelming victory, not just victory. Overwhelming victory. Uh, some translations say it this way. We are more than conquerors. That word in the Greek is hypernikeo. That word nikeo is where we get the word Nike. The enemy belongs under your feet. That word nikeo. And so he says, he says, you have victory. You have overcoming. You're a conqueror. But he says this, more than. So it's not just victory. It's like super abundant victory. Hyper. It's like my 12-year-old son, Victory a lot of victory. It's unending victory. It's more than enough victory. You have more than enough victory, even through hardships. You are free. You're free from them affecting you in your connection with God. So even when you go through the times, you handle it with grace. You have poise because you're like, I'm a king. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, but I got this because God loves me, and I'm his son, and I'm cherished. We are overcoming, we are walking in victory. And the tension is this. The tension is a lot of people, when they think, I'm a king, I'm a queen in God, they automatically start thinking that that's somehow self-serving. Because we've, we, we model it sometimes after the patterns of the age, of this world. And we look and we go, hmm, what does dominion look? So when we use words like prosperity, we use words like kings and ruling over, we automatically think like bad. But you got to understand something. The context of the, of the new covenant in, in Jesus is totally different. So what we do is we look at the, we look at the, the way the world kings are. They, they rule with iron fists. Everything they say goes. It's, you know, it's, it's all this like uh, materialism, all this stuff, all this money, this high and mighty attitude, this idea that I'm lording over. The, the, the attitude that bring in the servants to cater to me. I mean, this is the whole mindset of kings. So when we start talking about royalty, we get a little nervous because we've followed the, the world's system of kinging, of reigning, of lording. And we, go, we say it this way. Well, I'm a child of God. Listen, princess. You are a child of God. But it's not that kind of kingdom. You are a king, but it's not that kind of king. It's a... It's a service kingdom. It's a serving king that we worship. And we are called to partner with his heart. We are called to be servant kings also. So it's not that kind of reigning, Rachel, right? That's not what it is. Not that Rachel's here today. I don't know. 
hope Karen. Is it Karen or Rachel? I always, sorry. Karen! I messed it up. I told you guys, like, all my little cultural things fail every time. Listen, the point is this. The point is this. We're not spoiled, entitled brats. So we go, Lord, I'm your son. I need a good parking spot at Walmart today. And the Lord gave me a spot. You know what? Maybe the Lord wanted you to give that spot to somebody else. Somebody who needed that spot. Someone that is actually, their knees hurting today and it would help them a little bit to get up there. They weren't able to get that sticker. You're using that sticker and you don't need it. That's not kingly. How about you save that spot for someone that actually needs it? That's what this kingdom looks like. How about even though you're having a bad day and someone mistreats you, you're still nice to them because you can afford mistreatment. See, because you're a child of God, you can afford misfortune, you can afford mishaps, and you can afford mistreatment. So when someone mistreats you, you can go, my value isn't in you. It's in Jesus, and he values you, so I'm going to honor you. And listen, Kingly means this, loving your enemies, loving the people that accuse you, loving the people that use you, loving the toxic people. I am so sick of it. So sick of the toxic. Oh, this is toxic. You just need to remove yourself. There might be a, there might be a point. That is the exception, not the rule, beloved. If we are following Jesus, he surrounded himself with toxic people. And he transformed their life. He built his church upon Peter, who's incredibly toxic. He built his church on Peter. Peter? I mean, you should have done it on John. Come on. I mean, he was like, he was encouraging, Lord. Beloved, it is not about you. This kingdom is not about you. It's his kingdom, and it is he-centered, not me-centered. It's a he-centered kingdom. It's not a me-centered kingdom. So reigning through Christ is not self-exaltation, but grace domination. Say that with me. Reigning through Christ is not self-exaltation, but grace domination. So I'm not going, cater to me. I need grace. I just need grace from you. I just need grace. No, no, no. It's like I am a delegator of grace. And this is what I've found. I've found that if I will be faithful... With the distribution, he will be faithful with the product. If I will be faithful with the distribution, distributing his kingdom, he will always provide the product. The product will always be there. It will never run out because I'm just giving it away. What if I don't have anything? That's a poverty mindset. There's There's a story about... King Alexander, Alexander the Great, and he's passing by this road. He's on a journey, and there's a beggar on the side of the road, and he's asking for alms. He's asking for a handout. He's, he's needy. And so they had two kinds of coins. They had copper coins, and they had gold coins. So here's Alexander, and he passes by this poor beggar, and he tosses out two gold coins. And one of, one of, his, one of the guys in his posse says, Alexander, surely copper coins would have suited the beggar's need. Surely that would be enough for him. That would last him for weeks. Why give him gold? 
And Alexander responded in royal fashion. Copper coins would suit the beggar's need. But gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Beloved, this is how we are to live. We have this amazing kingdom. This amazing king that we serve. We are kings. It's our divine position. But there's a second thing. It's the divine posture. We're servants. We're servant kings. Now when we say that, what I'm not saying is that you have this spirit of poverty that you're like a pauper. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just, oh, I'm just so needy and I'm just so broken and I'm, woe is me. I'm just a sinner saved by God. Beloved, you are not a victim. There's no woe is you. Listen, you are not a sinner anymore. Either you're a son or you're a sinner. Last I checked, God's sons aren't sinners. Last I checked, the righteousness of God doesn't have sin in it. That is not what you've been clothed with. You're not a sinner. You were a sinner. You've been saved by grace. It's important to know that. It's important to know that you are unfit on your own without Jesus. But when you come but when you come to him, he takes you from slavery to sonship. He takes you from sinner to saint. He brings you in, fully in. He doesn't say, you know, you stay at the back because you have a rough past. No, he's like, come on in. Your personality, nah, nope, come on in, fully in. There's one level in the kingdom, sonship, daughtership, kids, children of God. That's the level. And you're just, well, just give me a little corn. You know what that, all that is? All that is just false humility. I'm just so humble. Listen, that's not very humble. Because you're still making it about you. You're still making it about you. And humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's, 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 it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's just like I'm not putting myself first all the time. That's what humility is. I mean, Jesus had the confidence to be who he, he is. I love that. He had who he is. Come on. I love that. Proverbs, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 20. So the, the, the disciples are all together. Man, they've been hanging out with Jesus. They're doing ministry. I'm like, yes, I'm here on the circuit, man. We're like seeing miracles every meeting. Powerful God's moving. And so they're all hanging out with Jesus, and they said, hey, Jesus, which one of us is your favorite? Which one of us is going to sit on your left? And which one of us is going to sit on your right? We've been talking about the Lord, and we want to know. What's our position like when we get to heaven? Because we've been working hard. We want to know. So Jesus called again. He's like, guys, come here. Come here, listen. You know the rulers of this world. Lord, Lord it over with people. And his officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it'll be different. Because it's a different kingdom. It's a different way. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to rule has to be a slave. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to serve or to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. I didn't come to get something. 
I didn't come to get paid. I didn't come to get your loyalty. I came to give it to you. I came to invest in you. I'm here to serve somebody. I'm here to offer you something. That's why I came, and I want you to live the same way. So what does it look like to be servant kings? To have the royal identity. The royal position. What does it look like to have the royal position and the royal posture, the the posture of a servant? What does it look like? First of all, it means to honor others above ourselves. You can afford it. Because you're so rich in mercy, you can afford it. We honor others above ourselves. Philippians, Paul says it this way. He's like, man, he's like, put others' needs ahead of yourself. Philippians chapter 2, you can write that down. Look at it this week. He says, honor, honor others above yourself. Put, put other people before you put yourself. And let me suggest this to you. If you're bragging all the time about how you put others first, you're not really putting yourself first. You have a motivation in mind, and that's so you can look better and have a better title and post about it on Facebook. But he says this, consider others before you consider yourself. And then he says this, we must have the same attitude that Christ had, who being God, chose to become a man. I mean, that's crazy stooping. God stooped. He said, I'm going to get down in the dirt with them. I'm going to get down on their level. I'm going to get down, and I'm going to wash their feet. I'm not going to ask for their allegiance. I'm going to wash their feet. And they'll love me, and they'll serve me out of a love-filled heart. And it won't be because I'll be off with your head if you don't do it. So we honor others above ourselves. Secondly, is our default is grace. Listen, we live in a an extremely urgent and extremely angry culture. I mean, I make mistakes sometimes when I drive, like y'all, and people act like that's how I drive 100% of the time. They've never seen me drive before. And they're like, I mean, you like pull out in front of them, they're like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to super, be super, super gracious in traffic. And like people are like, You know, watching you, I'm like, they're gonna, we're gonna wreck. And I'm like, well, just relax. I mean, do you do that to people when they cut you off? That might, that might have been the the only mistake they've ever made in traffic, and you don't have any grace for that. You don't even know. You can afford it. You can afford somebody to cut you off in traffic. You can afford the cashier at McDonald's to have a bad day. I mean, you would be having a bad day if you worked at McDonald's, probably. Or you could be grateful that you had a job. But I, I get super annoyed by that stuff. I'm like, you know, I could have a little grace here. I mean, I, God has given me so much grace. How about I just give some of it away? So grace becomes our default. We honor others above ourselves. Grace is our default. And we serve the world by administering the kingdom. By administering the kingdom. So when you see someone that's discouraged, you got courage for them. Because you've got courage to give away. When you see someone that's, that is seemingly hopeless, you've got some hope to give them. When you see someone that's sick, you've got some healing to give them. When you see somebody that's in lack, you have some money to give them. What if I told you that check you got in the mail wasn't just so you can get a new iPhone? 
It might be so you can bless somebody. Now, maybe there we, you know, we don't, we don't, um, we don't eat the seed and we don't plant bread. Come on, there's some of it for you, but it ain't all for you, beloved. God's blessing, God's blessings are not for you, they're through you. And He wants to work through you. So we serve the world by administering. When people are weak, we have the grace for them. When people are weak, beloved, we have the grace for them. When they make mistakes, we have the grace for them. Sometimes we have the strength for them. We, we, we have people all the time that, that come to us and they're just like, I'm so discouraged. I just don't have faith. And, and what we tell them is to say, you can borrow some of my faith. Because you know what? Next week I might need to borrow yours. If we will be faithful, if we will be faithful to the distribution, God will be faithful with the product.